Today on episode number 194 of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast, James Wilson shares about interactive theater as it enters the higher ed classroom. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm Bonnie Stahoviak, and this is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to improve our personal productivity so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. James Wilson is a lecturer in mental health nursing at the University of Southampton. Since 2005, he has designed and deployed an innovative toolkit of interactive theater techniques with the aim of bringing learning about healthcare alive for the learners. And for the rest of James's bio, I'm going to welcome him on into the show. Welcome to Teaching in Higher Ed. It's a great pleasure to be with you, Bonnie. Hi. I told you in advance that since your bio is so much shorter than the ones we normally get, I thought, well, just tell us your story in, in uh, 30 seconds or less. I kid, I kid, because I know you have a lot of experience. Why don't you walk us through a little bit of your experience in higher ed, but also what happened before, because that's really interesting to our stories as well. Yeah, I think um, definitely to know where you come from as a, as a teacher, it's useful to know the background of someone. And before I uh, joined the University of Southampton, where currently I'm a lecturer, I was a qualified mental health nurse for over sort of 11 years. And prior to that, I also have experience working as a, um, in, in the police. So I was a police constable for, for quite some time. So it really was a sort of public sector background that I've had very much engaging with them, um, sort of care in the community and looking after the, 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 the people uh, that, that, that work and live in and around communities. I joined the university in two, uh, of Southampton in 2004 within a sort of faculty of health sciences and um, yeah I can um, take the story very much from there uh, in relation to the influences that that went from my teaching and uh, sort of what I'm going to talk about today as well in relation to interactive theatre. I am super excited to learn all about how these pieces came together. Can you start by telling me about your first experience being introduced to interactive theater techniques in nursing education? When I arrived at university, one of the, 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 the sort of challenges that I came across was, was, was trying to bring the complexities of clinical practice and somehow sort of bringing this complexity into the classroom. And uh, it was, um, I mean, many uh, other methods. I mean, it was like walking into a sweetie shop, you know, as, as, as a, sort of a kid as well, you know, it's like, what sorts of, 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 of methods can I actually sort of pick from, you know, uh, from, from, you know, creating a, a game to um, online methods to, but what struck me quite early on uh, joining the, 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 the university was the, the sort of power of theatre. In, in relation to the history of humans, you know, it was prior to the, 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 the sort of, you know, Greeks, humanity had no codified language to discuss theatre. 
And so therefore they would have these sort of like reenactments and I just thought, well, humans were kind of hardwired for learning by doing. So the very first time that myself and a colleague uh, was, was stepped into a classroom to do an interactive theatre, I donned an old man's outfit, wrote a story about uh, a, a, an old man being admitted, who had dementia, being admitted into a care home. And my colleague, who played almost the villain of the piece, was the nurse who um, unloaded all of these social malignant acts, which were is, is, is really evidenced by Tom Kitwood, who is a writer in the realm of dementia, who looks at these sort of social malignant acts. Um, and so we sort of bring them to life. We showed the, the nurse character unloading all of these um, characteristics onto our old, old man in story form. And naturally, you, you expect sort of good practice, best practice to be performed in a classroom setting, whereas actually we turned it on its head. We were showing abysmal practice, awful practice, and showing it to the students and actually saying, well, is this the sort of healthcare worker that you want to be? And people recognised the behaviours. But what we then did was we then started on a, a technique called forum theatre, which is, is basically an opportunity for an audience member to shout stop at a certain part of a play that's being performed to them and take over one of the actors on the stage to enact their solution. And once their solution has come to a natural end, they can sit back down again. So it's ensuring that a person isn't actually on a stage, as it were, for a long period of time. Now, did you get inspiration from other colleagues who were doing similar things in their classrooms? Or were you learning about what people were doing at other institutions or just taking what came more intuitively to you? Actually, it was a conversation at a conference I had with a, a chap who was an actor. Mm. And I got chatting with him and he literally turned around and just described this sort of forum theatre uh, technique to me. And it was like the moon's aligning because it was it was like, well, here we have a, an, a, a technique which within a classroom environment, you can combine an atmosphere where audiences can witness observable action. They can immerse themselves in a story that's being presented to them and make their own sense of it, as well as in fact, combining what actually is the story-rich realm of healthcare with its challenges of everyday life. I mean, we've got an endless supply of scenarios mm -hmm. to produce and play in front of an audience. So it really brought... That, that sort of alignment together of the story-rich realm of healthcare and the, the, the sort of ability for the audience to make changes to a scenario, ultimately, hopefully, to make it better and then um, practice in the classroom. If someone listening doesn't necessarily consider themselves an actor, is this an area that they may still benefit from in some way? Is this, I, I, I don't know if I... 
if this is a proper analogy, but I think of it like people that don't think of themselves as artists, but yet there's sort of this belief that we are all artists. I mean, how, how do you come down on whether or not a non-actor could benefit from this approach? Yeah, declaration of honesty here, Bonnie. As I mentioned in my own introduction, I have no drama background. Mm -hmm. And therefore, everything that I've learned has been through sort of like the fingertips and through experience. And actually, I would argue that everybody in everyday life is an actor. It shouldn't be deemed an untouchable sort of art form because, again, it's something that everybody can do. So, for example, you know, every single day when the person that you are, when you don say a uniform as, as either a, a nurse or police officer or doctor or anybody like that, you're, you're, you're becoming a character and that person changes as soon as that, as soon as that uniform comes off and that person comes home, all of a sudden you become a father, a son, you, you become a different character in the household. And so it's something which can be can be replicated with the right sort of encouragement. I think putting it together, there's a, the, the whole package. Uh, there's a there's a certain architecture that I would say is 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 quite useful when considering taking on an interactive theatre approach. Both I've say got a, a number of a, what I call a toolkit of different techniques but also working with individuals to put together an interactive theatre, I think is something which, yes, anyone can do, but it shouldn't be entered into lightly. You've introduced a couple of terms to us. One is the interactive theatre. And then you also mentioned discovering actually after the fact that what you were doing already was called forum theatre. So that might be something that other scholarship around the scholarship of learning and teaching might mention. But there is one other term I want to introduce, and then I'll probably back up a little bit and have you describe some other examples of it. But tell us a little bit about Clickers Theatre. Clickers Theatre is a combination of different processes. It was influenced, actually, by the Choose Your Own Adventure. And um, it it originally highlighted an episode 163 by um, Stacey Jacob and her games in higher ed classrooms. And it was because of that episode that kind of spurned me over to kind of make contact as well. But it starts with creating a story, which is, like I say, a choose your own adventure. And that in itself is it's written down. What we then do, what I've then done, is usually base those stories on real uh, patient narratives. So I've actually had service users before uh, come in and tell me their story and then I've playwrighted it in such a way as using it as a choose-your-own-adventure. Following that, uh, we then have the story, then I would recruit the actors, and the actors themselves have been uh, student nurses, so senior students um, or NHS partners, National Health Service, that is, uh, partners joining in as the actors. We then have a rehearsal where we put the story on its feet, as it were, in, in live theatrical form. So that will mean rehearsing for probably two days. And that is to actually have the actors understand the component parts that they'll be playing and also the different directions that the audience will be choosing. Because the audience role in amongst this is to uh, take on an electronic 
audience response systems such as either turning technologies, uh, the zappers, or Me Too, which um, I could explain more about as well. But the idea is, is um, the audience watch the play and at different points, one of the actors will turn round to the audience because they're faced with a dilemma and turn to the audience and say, hey, what do you think I should do? <laughs> Options will then appear for the audience to vote on. And depending on, in this case, the will of the majority, and it will be a democratic vote, everybody in the audience will get a chance to vote on one of a number of different outcomes, and they will determine what happens next. Whichever one, whichever decision gets the most votes, the actors immediately then show the audience the cause and effect of their decision. And we do that again until we get to the next choice point in the play. Now, I've played nasty tricks on audiences before where I've sent them round in circles. So if they potentially choose the wrong the wrong you know, decision, then they'll go round in circles and they'll see the same scene again and again and again. But also we'll be able to play um, very emotive pieces to an audience where in healthcare, it's very much about sort of clinical decision making. And even sometimes small decisions can make big impacts in uh, patient and carers' lives, and it allows us the opportunity for audiences to see the impact that their decisions can actually make and show the consequences of them in a safe environment of the classroom. About how many actors are involved in most of your productions, and then how many people should we envision sitting there watching the scene and making the choices on their clickers? Well, actors, we've had anything from six to about ten. What I've actually done in the past is is almost like a casting call to the senior students to mm. say, well, if you, if you want to be involved, then come on in and get involved. And that in itself has proven really beneficial as well, because what that has allowed is the whole students teaching students. Uh, scenario to occur where the student, the students themselves are the actors and they're performing to their own peers and there's a there's a lovely element there as well where the the, the, the student audience can watch their colleagues on stage and it's it's almost like a, a people like us you know hey those are just those are people like us they're acting but I recognize the characters they're playing and that's that's again got a certain gravity to uh, to to, to the, 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 the the plays themselves, but the audiences, yeah, we we we've played to audiences of around three hundred and fifty before and captivated them without any problem. One of the things I would imagine you're doing is creating such a memory for the people that participated that if given the opportunity to make this same kind of memory for other students that aren't quite as far along, I would, I would imagine that's very motivating for people to want to engage as an actor or some other way to just be involved for future students. Definitely. I mean, um, I've, personally, I haven't come across a medium of teaching which attaches um, a higher stake of emotion to learning experiences, both for uh, either student or, or colleague or service user actors or audience members 
uh, who you know emotions have have really good memories uh, and and they know how you make them feel and you're able to recreate memories from emotions very readily long after the uh, teaching session has finished and I think that's one of the strengths of um, you know the sort of interactive theater methods um, and and certainly you know it's a real benefit I haven't done anything even remotely close to what you're doing, but I have done role playing in my classes. And one of the things I have found helpful, just just actually like in any class, is to set up some ground rules for people. And I, I wonder if you have ground rules for either the actors or the people that are students who step into the scenes when they shout out to stop the scene and they take over their role. Do you have any ground rules that you establish around when we are in the scene, if you will. Very much, very much. If I could just take a little sideline. Oh, please. Those are always so much fun. (laughs) Well, it's this term, role play. Yeah. And I don't know if many of your listeners, colleagues have come across this term. And once you've actually announced it in a classroom, the genuine terror in the eyes of so many of the students at the the mere utterance of the word, hey guys, we're going to do some role play today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you have people almost escaping out of windows. Yeah. And I'm so interested as to why this is the case, Bonnie, because I, I, there's a dearth of any literature out there that, that tackles the subject of certainly why do people hate role play? Mm-hmm. And I do wonder really, and I'm so interested to know what certainly listeners and and, and yourself thinks about this, but two thoughts really occur. First of all, is this word play. It's become a bad word in some quarters, I feel, because it's it's something that young children do. And therefore, does it have any, it has no place in higher education, because that's where real serious stuff happens. And therefore, play is not something that, you know, we should be doing. Of course, that's nonsense, but it's the word. And, And I think that we've almost as a result, we've had to try and create a whole language to ensure that role play is not mentioned. So, yeah, we have role training, we have simulation, we have hey, participatory theatre, interactive theatre, anything but used the role play word. It's just uh, an interesting view, Bonnie. Oh, absolutely. I, I wonder if avoiding it would help make things <laughs> somewhat better. I think part of, I hear the aversion people have toward it is, actually feeling like it's not going to be very real. And as you were talking about some of this choose your own adventure and the ways that you try to make these real life situations come into the classroom, I was reminded so much of the writer who is also a surgeon named Atul Gawande. He has, Mm. yeah, he's written in all sorts of uh, publications, but the book that I read I'm most thinking of right now is his book called Being Mortal, Medicine and What Matters in the End. And for anyone who's not read it, it is really about his father's end of life. And as a physician, what that was like for him to experience it and thinking about what do the last final chapters of our life look like and 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 then what could they look like what how could we make that better for our societies and at, at any rate he speaks so eloquently just about how most of our medical education just don't prepare people for the raw gut-wrenching decisions and 
hard questions that have to be asked. So I'm so inspired and so full of hope as I hear you describing this, because I really could see this preparing people to be more effective at the, I mean, just such hard conversations I could only imagine. Absolutely, Bonnie. And I think it goes slightly further as well, because we mentioned emotion earlier. And one of the things I, I feel quite strongly about as well is that these sort of theatre pieces can actually provide a kind of a low dose exposure to some of the more unpleasant emotions yeah. that we'll face in, in, in the kind of, you know, maelstrom of clinical practice. And I think that's something that really benefits, especially, I, I, I say this with the kindest of words, is more younger people coming into the professions of healthcare so that it, it gives them that exposure to some of the, let's say, some of the more uglier areas that, that you maybe don't really think about when you're sitting writing out your application to, to come and care for people, you know. So, yeah, when people are not happy with the care that you've received or, you know, they're in so much distress that you really can't alleviate them or they're saying some real sort of bizarre things to your face that you, you, you struggle with them um, not laughing at some of the things, you know, you have to be professional. And so, so I think theatre allows this exploration um, in a classroom so that you can get a lot of these experiences distilled within a classroom space. I, I'd say the word safe space as well a lot so that we can explore that um, safely together. And I say together because it's a it's a two way process. It's not theatre is lovely in a sense that we're never didactic in the way the theatre never tells you how to think. That's that's up to the learner. It's very constructivist that way. I had a friend on an episode which I will link to in the show notes, Carrie Moore, and in that episode she got to draw from her background in social work, as I shared yeah. about a family member with dementia. And this has just been quite the adventure, let me tell you, as a family, and it's my mom and my husband and myself that are kind of all hands on board on this this project <laughs> that we none of us expected. And during that season, talking with Carrie on that episode, everything was new. I was seeing situations yeah. for the first time, and it all felt very hard. And one of the things she shared about the research in these kinds of situations is about the benefits of building resilience. And I chuckled because this is not the kind of resilience that most of us want to build. But as we've gone through multiple iterations and different care scenarios, it has really built up my resilience. And the most recent tough decision that we needed to make, I felt like we were all really able to come together better because we had seen some of these patterns before. And I think what you're describing seems so helpful if I were a nursing student to be able to see it in advance. And if I felt like laughing, mm. far better to laugh in a class because that's often our, our reaction to just something so foreign to us. And I mean, and quite frankly, I imagine sometimes it really is silly, but you wouldn't want to laugh in front of the person. But like, just to have oh. a, like you did describe it as a safe space, you know, that, that there would be a place where I could be confronted with this for the first time and build up that resilience in a better way before I was actually doing it completely on my own without coaching and the benefits of, of being able to choose a different adventure, <laughs> a different <Yeah>. clicker. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we've we've certainly um, tackled a number of what I would class as very difficult to teach subjects. Um, our very first sort of clickers theatre experience was a service user came forward with 
their experience of being sectioned under the Mental Health Act in, in the UK. That's one of the most powerful pieces of legislation that we have to take people's liberty away and put them in a hospital, you know, a safe space uh, from, from themselves or others. And that in itself is a very, uh, say it was a, a, a hugely emotive experience for both the service user to explain and also when we when we staged it, it it showed actually how the healthcare professionals involved at different stages of this person's journey impacted hugely on the inevitability of that person ending up in hospital and it was because of the healthcare workers actions that actually triggered the person's level of distress, which then unfortunately led to them being sectioned. And yet the lesson that the lovely service user who provided the story was trying to say is that, you know, being sectioned under the Mental Health Act shouldn't be seen as failure. It, it was the best thing. I needed that. That's what she was saying. And so therefore there was a dual number of outcomes there for students watching which is, yeah, be careful what you say and how you say it, because these decisions, your actions really do impact on patients' lives, even the small ones. But secondly, as well, is the, 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 the sort of outcomes of a journey when someone enters hospital, again, shouldn't be seen as we failed you. It's the place that someone may need to be at a particular point in their life. You know, stop the world, I'm getting off. Mm, yeah. I, I'm going to have such fun putting together the show notes for this episode, which for people listening are going to be at teachinginhighered.com slash 194. Could you tell us a little bit about the resource I will be linking to about the games for actors and non-actors and why people should go click on that link? Games for Actors and Non-Actors is was one of the first books that I was pointed towards and, and read cover to cover. It is by Augusta Boal, who himself was the, who conceived this sort of arsenal of techniques known as theatre of the oppressed. And within the arsenal, one of the techniques is known as forum theatre. I'll come back to that in a second, but just as an overview of the Games for Actors and Non-Actors book, it's jam-packed with very straightforward, easy-to-pull-out games and also techniques in order to help people unlock their kind of creativity in sort of, you know, acting situations, either in the rehearsal space or even in classrooms. Even Boal sort of turned around and said that, that you know, he's borrowed them from you know, his travels around the world, he's, he's taken them and, and, and put them into and, and you know, categorised them in this book. But Boal himself is a Brazilian theatre activist. And uh, back in the 1970s, um, he was looking at putting on plays for people in, in sort of, you know, slums and, 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 and the likes in, in Brazil. And one of the techniques he was using was called simultaneous dramaturgy. Now, what happens in simultaneous dramaturgy is the audience watch a play about a, a subject or a topic that resonates with them. And then at different points during the play, the play will stop by the, the director, will stop the play, 
and say to the audience, hey, what should our actor do? Now, this particular play, I might add, was about adultery. And it was the point of the play where one of the actors, the male actor, had been caught by his wife in the act of adultery. You know, it was, she'd found letters um, to his lover. And so the, the play stopped and said to the audience, hey, what should we do? And one of the ladies in the audience turned around and said, mm, you need to give him a damn good talking to. <laughs> so the actress then turned around and obviously started giving the, the actor on stage, the male husband, a good talking to. This went backwards and forwards a few times because the, the audience member just kept on saying, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. Give him a damn good talking to. Until really the profanity on the stage was just un unannounceable on your podcast, Bonnie, at which point the, the member of the audience turned around and said, look, do you want me to show you what I mean? Do you want me just to come up and show you on stage? And of course, in traditional theatre pieces where we go to watch the theatre, the unwritten rule is that the stage is the domain of the actors and the audience don't get up <laughs> onto the stage. Well, the 500 strong crowd were now you know clapping and hollering and and actually Boal had no choice because this woman was actually making her way up to the stage and it became a bit, a bit of a fishing story because every time um, Boal told the story this woman got larger and larger uh, and so eventually <laughs> she got up onto the stage and somehow on the way up to the stage she managed to pick up a broom handle and as she got onto the stage didn't actually utter a word, but proceeded to beat the no. actor on the stage. Oh, no. And as soon as she'd finished, she then sat down on a chair on the stage and went, right, um, I'm exhausted after that, now make me my tea. And by the way, don't do it again. And, and the, the whole audience went insane with this. They thought it was brilliant. But one of the things that was really interesting to Boal here is that the woman in the stage who eventually got up was saying, Give him a good talking to. And yet the action that she then demonstrated was actually not about giving him a good talking to, but a broom handle and a sound beating. And therefore, what goes on in someone's head and what they sort of verbally state is then translated very differently to how they then action, you know, what they then show and demonstrate as action. So Boal then took that and that very scene was the birth of Forum Theatre. And if I can just explain that technique just for a second. Oh, please, Bonnie. yeah. So Forum Theatre is a deceptively simple technique where a story is presented by actors to an audience. And, and again, it's of something of resonance. And the, the, the play goes through where there is a protagonist, a main character, who tries really hard during the, the play to overcome either certain uh, barriers, but ultimately, by the end of the play, they will fail. The play never ends well, usually in a forum theatre. It leaves the sort of sense of conflict and unresolved problems to an audience. Then, in will pop, up will pop a facilitator, or, in Boal's language, a joker. And the joker is the person who will explain the rules of the game. They will be attempting, where possible, to 
lower the stakes for the audience involvement. They're the, the glue of the session, as it were, because the joker is the person who will then you know, talk to the audience, gather all of the issues that they think is, is really important about this play. They will then explain the rules of the game, which is thus, that in a second they're going to replay the play once again. And then if there is a point where the audience member feels that if the main character had done something slightly differently, mm. the outcome of the play would be different, then at that point, shout stop. Then that audience member is invited from their space in the audience up onto the stage and they can take over the character on the stage, but only for the, 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 the amount of time where their solution has ran its course. At that point, the person on the stage has the opportunity at any time, the power to sit back down in their seat again. It's just an opportunity to show their solution. At that point, we'll then move the story on and have a, an interplay where lots of members of the audience will get up and you know, get up onto the stage, do their piece, sit back down again. Boal refers to this method of um, the, the, the audience, instead of becoming a spectator, a passive observer, then he becomes a spect actor, <laughs> which is a lovely neologism, where again, it's about the audience getting involved in some way on the stage. And that's, again, for me, where the basis of everything about interactive theatre comes from. Well, you have been so generous, not just with the conversation, but also have sent along the other items I'll be linking to in the show notes, including three filmed projects, which people will just get such a kick out of being able to see this happening in on their own computer screen. So they might envision how they could use it in their own teaching. Also an article about clickers theater uh, with your experience turning a crisis into an interactive drama. And Oh, there's one more. I mean, I've got a bunch of them listed here. Oh, an article about your experience using forum theater as well. So you've just woven some experts in with lots of examples from what you are doing at your institution. So thank you so much for that. This is the time in the show where we each get to give some recommendations. And mine continues a little bit on a theme I've been talking about on recent episodes, and that is some more on renewable versus disposable assignments. So the disposable assignments are the ones where we just turn it in a paper or we take a test and nothing happens after that. There's no value that gets brought to our own learning after we've submitted it. And there's no value that goes out really to the world to benefit it. And so the contrast to disposable assignments are renewable ones. And there was a lovely article written by George Velistianos. I know I'm pronouncing his name wrong, but how do faculty benefit from renewable assignments? So you could learn more about how you would benefit by coming up with more of them. And then Alan Levine wrote a wonderful piece called That Time I Did an OER, that would be an Open Educational Resource, Non-Disposable Renewable Assignment. And it is just a great look at him as a student and something that he did to contribute to something that lived on and some of the acknowledgement that he got even well after the course was through. So I would recommend that you come over to the show notes at teachinginhighered.com slash 194 and 
check out all of James' resources, of course, and then a couple of these articles about renewable assignments. And James, I'm going to pass it over to you for your recommendations. Wonderful. Thank you, Bonnie. Well, my first recommendation is going to be a real-time polling cloud-based app called um, Me Too. It's something that we've used a number of times within our classroom for the for for the Clickers Theatre, and it has both the ability to use real-time polling, but also it has a discussion board facility as well, and it's all cloud-based. Audience members can either download an app or use it on a web browser. It gives, again, uh, reports, feedback, uninhibited feedback. It can assess learning. It's been an excellent addition to the electronic audience response systems that uh, that's out there. And it's been something I think that some people would, would really like to check out. Oh, absolutely. And James, <laughs> I know you've got one more to suggest for us. Yes. My other one is back to the good old book. It's a book that I've never seen anything like this before. And it's by an author called Kim Newman. And it's called Life's Lottery. And uh, I, I, I was given it by a friend. And it's described as an adult role-playing novel where small decisions have monumental consequences. And it is just that. It's not It's not a book like one of the old fighting fantasies that we may have come across when we were younger, where you actually roll yourself a character. No, all it is is you read the book. It's a lovely, thick book. And small decisions really take you off in different directions. So it, it actually gives you a number of the page that you need to go and read on. And there's multiple different directions. It's a branching storyline that you can take. It's so immersive and well-written. For someone like myself who's interested in um, sort of choose-your-own-adventure stuff and where decisions are important in life, I was, I was really gripped by it. Oh, it sounds like such a wonderful book. And Me Too looks like a great service for us to go and check out. And James, thank you so much for getting in touch and introducing all of us to these truly innovative ways of transforming your classroom. I'm inspired and I know so many of our listeners will be too. As always with these sorts of things, it always just touched the tip of the iceberg. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> That's just an excuse for us to have you back then, because I think you're not done. <laughs> that would be that would be so lovely, Bonnie. That would be so lovely. Thanks so much again to James Wilson for joining me for this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed and talking about interactive theater as it enters the higher ed classroom. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you have yet to give the show a review or a rating on whatever service it is you use to listen to the show, I would be so grateful if you would do so. Thanks to all of you that have been sharing your experience listening to the show and making it possible for others to discover it. You can do that using whatever service it is you use to listen, and it only takes a couple of minutes. Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to seeing you next time. Lots of great episodes in the queue. Take care, and I'll see you next time.